Hello, everyone, and welcome to Explore Our Story with Dan Schmalt. Season 2, Episode 2, The Cholera Outbreak of 1834. I want to start this episode by thanking everyone who listened to and downloaded Episode 1 of the new season. I wasn't sure how people would react after a long layoff, but the response has been great so far. So now it's time to continue that momentum and pick up where we left off last time. We ended with the young village of Galt being well-established and prosperous. Business was good. The population was steadily growing. Transportation to and from the settlement was much improved, and things were on the up and up. Unfortunately, though, that came to a sudden and crashing halt, How, as in 1834, Galt was hit with an outbreak of cholera. Now, this is a topic that I've wanted to cover for a long time and to dive into it, as it's so timely with our current situation. So, what is cholera? Well, the CDC definition of cholera is, now bear with me here, an acute diarrheal illness caused by infection of the intestine with the toxigenic bacterium Vibrio cholerae serogroup 01 or 0139. An estimated 2.9 million cases and 95,000 deaths occur each year around the world. Now, the infection is often mild or without symptoms, but they can be severe. Approximately 1 in 10 who get sick with cholera will develop severe symptoms such as watery diarrhea, vomiting, and leg cramps. And these people, rapid loss of bodily fluids leads to dehydration and shock. Without treatment, death can occur within hours. In the first half of the 19th century, disease was nothing new to settlers of this area. Professor Ken McLaughlin of the University of Waterloo notes in his book, Cambridge, The Making of a Canadian City, that all sorts of diseases were around every corner. Smallpox, typhoid fever, tuberculosis, influenza, and pneumonia, just to name a few. Poor diets and inadequate sanitation were also factors that made early settlers uh, especially vulnerable to disease. However, he notes that uh, cholera was the most feared disease. It had spread throughout Upper Canada in the 1830s. Now, it was first identified in India, where it had been prevalent for many years. By 1831, it had reached the United Kingdom, and a year later uh, arrived across the Atlantic Ocean to Canada. The fatality rate was as high as 50% in serious cases. It even spread from person to person without symptoms, and some people, and even infected people who hadn't had any contact with a sick individual. It has been attributed to poor, poor sanitation at, at the time. Our, now, our best source for what happened in Galt um, for the cholera is once again the Honorable James Young and his book, Reminiscences of the, of the Early History of Galt and the Settlement of Dumfries. Young sets the scene in chapter 9 of his book, quote, It was not until 1830 that the chief influx of settlers into Dumfries took place. During that and three or four succeeding years, the township filled up rapidly. These circumstances had their effect upon the village, whose prospects had never previously looked so promising as in the spring of 1834. As the summer came in, the buoyant feeling continued. 
promising crops, new settlers, new buildings. These and other circumstances seem to indicate a brighter era for Galt, when suddenly, like a bolt out of a clear sky, the most terrible calamity which ever befell the locality came swiftly and fatally down upon its ill-fated inhabitants." How did an outbreak of such a deadly disease happen in a small settlement like Galt, you ask? As we noted above, it was the middle of the summer of 1834, and it is generally believed that the outbreak of cholera was due to the arrival of a traveling menagerie, a precursor to the circus. The sight of exotic animals traveling around and on display in the area was a sight not seen in Galt at this point, and the village was quite excited at the prospect of this show. Crowds came from all over the area, not just Galt. It was an extremely hot day, and the traveling show's display of animals wasn't particularly large. The conditions of the dens the animals were in were described as extremely filthy, so so much so that it was distracting to the audience. You can imagine why it was thought that this was the source of the cholera outbreak. One of the traveling show's members had arrived a few days preceding the show and was said to be sick. It was feared that the man had cholera, and some of the villagers implored Absalon Shade, one of the men most responsible for the development of Galt, to intervene and not allow the traveling show to go on or to remain in Galt. Shade believed he didn't have the power to deny the show from proceeding, even though he was the only magistrate in the village at the time. He thought the benefits uh, to the committee, community, both economically and in how the people would enjoy a show, were more important. Now, Young writes that the exhibition was allowed to proceed. Whether this was before or after the confirmation of the first case of cholera is unclear. Now, he also describes a local doctor named Miller, who examined the sick man from the menagerie and declared that he had the Asiatic cholera. Fears were confirmed as the deadly disease had arrived and begun to spread quickly. The show went on the Monday, and by Wednesday night and Thursday, the cholera was spreading like wildfire with death. Young's description of the scene that followed is gripping, to say the least. His work on this is simply outstanding, and I'm going to let him explain the horrible events that followed with a very long quote. So, here we go. The harrowing scenes which occurred can never be erased from the memories of those who passed through them. The agony of the stricken, the swiftness of death, the rude board coffins, and the hasty burials, in some cases within a few minutes after the last breath was drawn, turned the the recently hopeful village into a very charnel um, house from which many fled in despair whilst all but a few were paralyzed with fear. Chiefly before Friday night, but certainly within a week, nearly one-fifth of all the villagers had fallen victims to the plague, whilst not a few from the country who were present at the exhibition had also succumbed to the ruthless destroyer. Dr. Miller, who had seen 100 persons per day die of cholera in Montreal, declared, He had never seen a place of the same population as Galt suffer so much, nor the disease appear so virtuous. Such widespread mortality in so small a community and in so brief a space of time recalled the ravages of the plague in London 
and is almost unprecedented on this continent. The whole circumstances connected with this dire event in the history of Galt were graphically described by Mr. Alex Bennett in a letter written at the time to a gentleman named Mitchell in Hamilton, whose acquaintance he had made six months before, when on his way to take up his residence in, residence in the village, the following is Mr. Burnett's letter, which is doubtly interesting in consequence of it being the production of an eyewitness and written at the time. Quote, Were I able to give you any idea of the state of things in Galt during the cholera, I would, but do not find myself equal to the task. Yet, having once again, I shall make a feeble effort. What is wanting you can fill up for yourself. On Monday, the 28th of July, all was life, and each was on the tiptoe of expectation. There was, too, and was, exhibited such a collection of wild animals as never was uh, in these parts before. Towards noon, the steady and honest Dutchmen of Waterloo began to canter into the village with their well-fed horses and thrifty wives, attended by plainly-dressed, chubby-cheeked children. Dumfries, from its utmost verge, poured in its tribute of sturdy scotch, studied, uh, studded here, and there was a whiskey-loving white who was goal to make the show his pretended errand, although he, in truth, only wanted something to wet his wizen. Beverly, Blenheim, and more distant townships set their sightseeing sons and daughters. In the afternoon, all was bustle and confusion. Nothing doing, nothing saying. But have you been in at the beasts? What a beast the lion is, and how large that their bear, and what creatures the monkeys are. So passed the afternoon, and now and then an inquiry about the showman who had come to Galt sick with the cholera. But this was hushed down, lest it might injure the show or hurt the stir of the tavern. Things went along until the gathering dispersed, the sun setting on many a sun intemperance, rolling homewards under the influence of the wee drapo barley brie. Those more regardless of their home than equally regarded, regardless, of themselves, hung about the tavern in the village, while their joint efforts, the loud voice of the, of mirth, had given way to the rude and boisterous roar of riot. Such was the state of things when I, when I bade one and all of them good night, went to bed and slept soundly. Tuesday was like just like the other days, with various conjectures as to the value of the establishment of beasts what cash they might have got, and so on. Wednesday came, and it was certain dubious expression might be seen on the countenances of some of the villagers. Others, thoughtlessness of the lurking foe. Following, followed their usual avocations before noon, there were to be seen clusters of three or four together, whispering their doubts and fears, even then afraid to ask, speak the name of the horrid pest aloud. The doctor of the village appeared to be more than usually busy, by his pony standing by hours at his door, saddled and girth unstacked. Soon after noon, the secret was out, the cholera, with all its horror and all its malignity upon us. Two persons had died, and several were sick. By sundown, down three more had fallen, and other others were victims to the scourge. Fear now began to lay her timorous hand upon us. 
and each thought he felt symptoms that he had never felt before. Our sleep was unsound and unrefreshing. Long and dreary was the night, while the, with doubt and anxiety the morning came. That Thursday morning, the sun rose upon nine of our neighbors and acquaintances who had settled all their worldly affairs and paid the debt of nature. These were unburied, and yet lay as death had met them. Now was the hour of trial. The arm of industry became powerless, and the hum of business ceased to meet the ear. Naught was heard but the sound and stroke of the coffin-maker's hammer, as he nailed the rude and unsmooth boards together, that the dead might be gathered to their fathers who had gone before them. Even the noise of the wagons to and from the burying ground struck you as having something ominous in the sound they made. Now and then your attention was arrested by the echo of the of the distant trampling of coming horse, whose lathered sides and expanded nostrils showed uh, showed his headlong haste, while the anxious fears and sunken visage of the rider told he was no messenger of fun or heedless follower of a thoughtless frolic. He came for the assistance of the doctor, but alas, how vain! The demon of death, now triumphing in his strength and glorying in the number of his victims, laughed to scorn the healing art, and bade defiance to the powers of drug and medicine. Yet still, glad to cling to hope, the doctor was sought and sent for. So passed Thursday, and the sun of that day had not set when the last of thirty-five unceremonious burials had taken place in the neighboring burying ground. Those from our village and suburbs in the short space of thirty-six hours, twilight came, when all who had a chance reluctantly prepared for bed. Yes, reluctantly. For, believe me, each had a secret dread and heartfelt fear that ere tomorrow's dawn he or she would should also be numbered with the dead. The night passed, slow and restless. With the morning of Friday... Those who were first stirring were afraid and yet anxious to know what had been the events of the last few hours. On inquiry, glad was the heart when it was heard that a few comparatively had been attacked and fewer dead. Hope, the, stead, the steady friend of man, again beamed in our eyes. While our hearts beat high with exultation, it seemed as if the monster pestilence had gorged itself with the number of its victims and fatigued its energies with the work of destruction. Those who were under its power appeared to have greater strength to struggle for existence. It was less quick in its action and operation, yet steady to its purpose, and unrelenting in its grasp. Some near and dear ones were suddenly attacked and unexpectedly carried off, which cases, as they occurred, nearly extinguished the rising flame of hope. Nevertheless, it was abating." Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, it sought its prey and found them, although fewer in number. Two or three showed symptoms of recovery, and two actually recovered. From out among the little circle of villagers, thirty-three had gone to their long homes. Among there was the smiling infant, a man of gray hairs and experience, the stripling just budding into manhood, and the maiden blooming into woman's state just beginning to be conscious of her power and influence over the rougher part of creation. The man of steady habits and sedate behavior, with the intemperate and profligate 
easy victims to the dreadful and afflictive malady. Oh, my dear sir, this was the time to divest us of our high-flying notions of our consequence and importance. This was the time I felt the curse of being a bachelor. My fears and anxieties were centered in myself and became a burden to me, bearing me almost to the despondency and despair. I was alone and none to care for, and no one to care for me, or such as me. The husband and the father divided his cares and fears amongst his family. He saw in his wife a sympathizing nurse in sickness, and an interested friend whispering hope in approaching death. His wife, in turn, looked to him as protector and friend, while the children, who were conscious of their, of their danger, looked to each other and both for succor and support. Life's cares are said to be comforts. I believed it. Happy he who has one is sharer of his joys and partner of his sorrows. The graphic picture of the cholera and galt, however sad and somber, comes short of the dread reality, the mournful scenes which occurred, especially during Thursday and Friday. Those who had survived can scarcely yet recall without a shudder. The violence of the disease was unprecedented. In some instances, a death, death occurred within two and even as little as over an, one hour after the first symptoms. An aged uh, man named uh, Milo, who was hostler in the hotel, was among the first victims. But Mr. Andrew Sam Simpson, who then occupied it, and his niece were soon after stricken down. There were five or six persons, all laying dead in this single building at one time. This was the first infected place in the village, and one marshal, a cooper, undertook for consideration to clean it out. Passing down the street sometime afterwards, Mr. Burnett called to Mr. Uh, to Marshall that he had not burned Simpson's clothes, which were lying on a wheelbarrow in the yard. Not much more than an hour afterwards, on returning, Mr. Bennett was saluted by Walter H. Ben, who was then standing on the bridge, spade in hand. Come on, come on, said Ben. Another of our fellow mortals gone. Death has, was written on your forehead and mine before we were born. Then, turning his heel on his heel, he started for the graveyard to prepare a place for poor Marshall, who had been attacked and died during Mr. Bennett's absence of little over an hour. It was not uncommon to meet persons before dinner and learn they were buried before night and that the cry of everyone became, Who's next? Mr. Strang's church was stripped of its temporary board seats and turned into a hospital, where as many as possible of uh, the, those attacked were taken. Dr. Miller was soon overdone with work, and at his solicitation, one Dr. McQuarrie came to Galt and rendered good service. Most valuable assistance was also given by Dr. John Scott, then a young man of about 21 years of age, who, with his father and other members of his family, had fortunately arrived from Roxboroughshire, Scotland, about ten days previously. He was a brother of Mr. Andrew Scott of Galt, and afterwards became widely known in Berlin as a skillful practitioner and publicly a public-spirited citizen. Dr. Scott was one of the most fearless of the little band who fought the cholera, inch by inch, with their lives in their hands until it finally disappeared. Beside those whose names have been already mentioned, Messrs. Thomas G. Chapman, Thomas Rich, Alonzo Bliss, Andrew Malcolm, 
Robert Cranston, James Welch, Thomas Shannon, and Joseph Simmons, a brother-in-law of Chapman's, rendered very active assistance. Mr. Chapman's team continued all one night carting off the dead, and at, at times some of those who were not terrified by the cholera were so run, uh, worn out by fatigue and excitement in preparing graves, attending the sick and removing the dead to their final resting place, that they fell asleep at their posts. An incident well illustrates the conditions of terror into which the little community was thrown. The remedy which was generally used for the cholera was brandy, to which was added, in most cases, certain drugs which increased its fiery, heady qualities. For some time, almost every family kept a bottle of this mixture ready for use. One day, a well-known citizen ran hurriedly up to Mr. Rich's door, declared he had the cholera, and excitedly asked for the medicine. The applicant was in the habit of using stimulants, and Mr. Rich gave him, therefore, an unusually large dose, fearing that the otherwise no effect would be produced. Before he could return across the lot, the sufferer fell down on the grass, roaring and groaning, not so much with the cholera as with the intense burning sensation and feeling of intoxication stealing over him. The remedy was a severe one, but the gentleman, who still lives in a neighboring uh, county, highly respected and in comfortable circumstances, frequently declared that nothing but this immense dose of brandy, brandy mixture saved his life. End quote. That was a long quote. So you can see that it was a pretty harrowing time uh, during the short one-week period with the cholera. So Young notes later that some stories may or not be reliable, including one about four men being buried in a single grave. One that is true, however, is the story how the newly built Associate Presbyterian Church on Wellington Street which was more recently known as First United Church. It was stripped of its wooden benches uh, and were used these uh, the wood for these benches was used to build coffins for the dead who were quickly buried in the town cemeteries. Some of the victims were buried in where Centennial Park is uh, now near the top of Main Street and later moved to Mountview Cemetery. Uh, the local high school GCI's longtime care caretaker even noted that he helped move some of the bodies when he first arrived in Galt. Now, now that we've looked in, uh, we have a, a harrowing description of the events of the 1834 cholera. What was the human cost of the outbreak? Well, consider this: Galt had a population of about 200 to 250 people at the time, and as many as 50 people died from the cholera. That's 20 to 25 percent of the population. Now, with the population today of Cambridge at about 135,000, we'll say, give or take, that would mean between 27,000 and almost 34,000 dead in less than a week. Simply staggering. How the village of Galt was able to not just survive this, but recover and thrive is absolutely remarkable. Uh, in less than a decade, the population of Galt had recovered, and it was nearly 1,000 people. It's an event that not a lot of people know about, but should, especially given where uh, what the world has been through uh, in, since 2020. Our sources are still pretty scarce, 
with James Young's book being the main source. He wrote the book less than 50 years after the outbreak, so and the book was published in 1880. So he had access to many primary sources of survivors who were still alive at the time, and they were able to tell their stories. So I'm incredibly grateful for his work. As I've said previously, this is really the best source for early Galt, and I highly recommend you check it out. It's available in its entirety on the web with a simple Google search. So this is there, there's a simple here. Slow down. This is a simple look at one of the darkest times in Galt's history. The cholera nearly destroyed the small village of Galt, but with time, people were able to recover, and the village was soon able to prosper. Next time, we're going to continue our look at the development of the village of Galt, how it recovers from the cholera outbreak to eventually become a thriving town and the most significant settlement in the area that is now Cambridge. So please give Explore Our Story a follow on social media, including Facebook and Instagram. Be sure to download it from your favorite podcast apps like Spotify or Apple. And if you have any questions, feel free at any time to email me at exploreourstorypodcast at gmail.com. Join me again next time as we continue to explore our story.